Hey everyone, JR here. Um, I know we haven't uh, put out content, I think, since like September. Um, I want to apologize for that. Uh, Andrew and I have both been doing tons of tons of stuff. Our lives been really busy. Um, I have been particularly busy, and uh, I really wanted to be able to do. Um, high quality authentic theory reading for this project and i think that i mean obviously we still will uh but i think that anyone who's listening to this would know that the kind of like the the crises of capitalism have risen to a level uh that none of us could have foreseen i don't think that any leftist in this country was prepared for the type of violent awakening that we've had um and as a <clears throat> self-described marxist and someone who thinks that uh lenin and uh the like had the right idea with a party structure um i have a couple different opinions on the things that are going on um that i would like to maybe clarify all of these things that people are doing are good. Um, I think that the protests are good. I think that the um, the chaz that was a result of the protests are good. I think that community organizing is good. I think that um, all of these things are beneficial to working class people. But I think that there needs um, obviously to be some sort of structure and direction. Um, and an unsharpened knife doesn't cut anything. And I think that there's a good chance that liberals and people on the right could co-op these movements um, if there isn't a defined structure. And I think that uh, feminist writers have had a particularly, particularly interesting experience with structure. Um, and before I read anything, I just want to apologize for maybe the audio quality. Uh, in addition to... The statements about how busy Andrew and I have been, I will also say that audio editing is absolutely awful. Um, you sit here and you read for an hour and a half, and then uh, you, you have to go back and listen to it for three hours in order to cut out all of the dumb stuff that, like, you breathe funny or, like, you say something stupid or I have a little bit of a stutter. And sometimes I have trouble saying things or um, I mumble. And I think that's just because of where I'm from. I'm from Pittsburgh and the dialect is somewhat strange and it has a tendency to lead to mumbling. I think that's also just a product of the East Coast um, culture, which obviously I could get into why that formed the way it did. Um, I think we all could. I don't need to explain to anyone how uh, capitalism affects culture. I mean, at some point I would like to talk about it in a theoretical sense, but for an unstructured reading, I just don't think it's very useful. So the paper that I'm gonna be reading and talking about today um, is particularly interesting. It's called, uh, it's a feminist essay. Um, and and a, an important note maybe about me is that for a good period of my life, I was raised by two women 
and um they were lesbian or one was bi and one was a lesbian and um they had a profound effect on i think the way i see things and i got to see a lot of um i got to grow up with a lot of like feminist opinion and that doesn't like validate anything i feel about feminism but i think that um i'm lucky to have had that that little window um into that uh the struggles of that group and particularly the lgbtq community um i was a kid and i got to be around trans people i got to be around um queer people of every sort gay people um lesbian people um and every shade in between and uh none of that has affected me negatively in fact i would say that some of those things are the most positive things in my entire life and also i apologize if you hear my cat purring in the background or doing something stupid like i said audio editing has been a little bit annoying but to get to everything the tyranny of the structuralists uh by joe freeman aka joe reen during the years in which the women's liberation movement has been taking shape a great emphasis has been placed on what are called leaderless, structuralist groups as the main, if not sole, organizational form of the movement. The source of this idea was a natural reaction against the overstructured society in which most women found themselves in, and the inevitable control this gave others over our lives, and the continual elitism of the left and similar groups among those who were supposedly fighting this overstructuredness. The idea of structurallessness, however, has moved from a healthy counter to those tendencies to becoming a goddess in its own right. The idea has little examined as the term is much used, but it has become an intrinsic and unquestioned part of women's liberation ideology. For the early development of the movement, this did not much matter. It early defined its main goal and its main method as consciousness raising and the structuralist rap group was an excellent means to this end. The looseness and formality of it encouraged participation and discussion, and its often supportive atmosphere elicited personal insight. If nothing more concrete than personal insight ever resulted from these groups, that did not much matter because their purpose did not really extend beyond this. The basic problems didn't appear until individual rap groups exhausted the virtues of consciousness raising and decided they wanted to do something more specific. At this point, they usually foundered because most groups were unwilling to change their structure when they changed their tasks. Women had thoroughly accepted the idea of structurelessness without realizing the limitations of its uses. People would try to use the structuralist group and the informal conference for purposes for which they were unsuitable out of a blind belief that no other means could possibly be anything but oppressive. If the movement is to grow beyond these elementary stages of development, it will have to disabuse itself of some of its prejudices about organization and structure. There is nothing inherently bad about either of these. They can be and are often misused, but to reject them out of hand because they are misused is to deny ourselves the necessary tools to further our, our development. We need to understand why structurelessness does not work. Um, this is just the intro, uh, and I think that I, I want to maybe preface the rest of this is that like I'm going to try my best to not frame my voice is a woman's voice um a woman's voice is being used to read this to to, to write this um but i don't think that it's fair for me to like try and present myself as the female narrator of this 
um, especially as someone who does not identify as a woman. Um, and and importantly, I want to say that like I uh, I think that what's going on with like the Chaz, for example, the Capitol Hill autonomous autonomous zone, if you haven't heard of it, um, is a very good thing. Uh, I'm speculative that it might uh, be dissolved um, violently, even though it's largely peaceful. I haven't heard of anything like there's been rumors of like drug lords running it, but none of that seems to be obvious. And I don't think that any um, Marxist Leninists or uh, any other type of, I guess, what you consider authoritarian communists. Um, I, I haven't seen any of them like downplaying it or doing anything uh, terrible with it. I think that as a Marxist Leninist, our uh, criticism is that it will either be halted because of its structure or um, or its lack of structure, or it uh, because it lacks a sort of defense. It won't. It will be very, very brutally crushed either by right wing vigilantes or by uh, the right wing state. Neither of which I'd want to happen. And I've actually talked to a couple uh, anarchists online, um, mostly because I moved to an area uh, that doesn't really have a large leftist presence. And um, I work at night, so it makes my waking hours very difficult to organize. Um, so I have talked to some people in real life, but uh, most of the anarchists that I've talked to like have all seemed like positively minded and and um very very intent on like committing to that structure working and i want to say that as someone who considers himself uh, a scientific socialist more importantly than a marxist Leninist, i hope that it does work and in fact if uh if if anarchism uh can take hold and effectively provide this group with the things they need i i i believe firmly in the idea that i i support the revolution that feeds the children um and if that's what it's going to do then i'm happy about that uh so the next section uh formal and informal structures contrary to what we would like to believe there's no such thing as a structuralist group any group of people of whatever nature that comes together for any length of time for any purpose will inevitably structure itself in some fashion. The structure may be flexible, it may vary over time, it may evenly or unevenly distribute tasks, power, and resources over the members of the group, but it will be formed regardless of the abilities, personalities, or intentions of the people involved. The very fact that we are individuals with different talents, predispositions, and backgrounds makes this inevitable. Only if we refuse to relate or interact on any basis whatsoever could we approximate structurelessness. And that is not the nature of a human group. Um, this means that to strive for a structuralist group is as useful and as deceptive as to aim at an objective news story or, or sorry. <clears throat> this means to strive for a structuralist group is as useful and as deceptive as it is to aim at an quote objective news story, quote, value-free social science, or, quote, free economy, a, quote, laissez-faire group is about as realistic as a, quote, laissez-faire society. The idea becomes a smokescreen for the strong or the lucky to establish unquestioned hegemony over others. This hegemony can also easily be established because of the idea of structurelessness. 
does not prevent the formation of informal structures, only formal ones. Similarly, laissez-faire philosophy did not prevent the economically power from establishing control over wages, prices, and distribution of goods. It only prevented the government from doing so. Thus, structurelessness becomes a way of masking power, and within the women's movement is usually most strongly advocated by those who are most powerful, whether they are conscious of their power or not. As long as the structure of the group is informal, the rules of how decisions are made are known only to a few, and awareness of power is limited to those who know the rules. Those who do not know the rules and are not chosen for initiation must remain in confusion, or suffer from paranoid delusions that something is happening which they are not quite aware. For everyone to have opportunity to be involved in a given group and to participate in its activities, the structure must be explicit, not implicit. The rules of decision-making must be open and available to everyone, and this only can happen if they are formalized. This is not to say that formalization of a structure of a group will destroy the informal structure. It usually doesn't, but it does hinder the informal structure from having predominant control and make available some means of attacking it if the people involved are not at least responsible to the needs of the group at large. Structurelessness is an organizationally impossible idea. We cannot decide whether to have a structured or a structuralist group, only whether or not we have a formally structured one. Therefore, the word will not be used any longer except to refer to the idea it represents. Unstructured will refer to those groups which have not been deliberately structured in a particular manner. Structured will refer to those which have. A structured group always has a formal structure and may also have an informal or covert structure. It is this informal structure which particularly in unstructured groups, which forms the basis for elites. The nature of elitism. Elitist is probably the most abused word in the women's liberation. It is used as frequently and for the same reasons as pinko was used in the 50s. It is rarely used correctly. Within the movement, it commonly refers to individuals, though the personal characteristics and activities of those to whom it is directed may differ widely. An individual as an individual can never be an elitist, because only proper application of the term elite is to groups. Any individual, regardless of how well known that person is, can never be an elite. Correctly, an elite refers to a small group of people who have power over a larger group of which they are a part, usually without direct responsibility to that larger group, and often without their knowledge or consent. A person becomes an elitist by being part of or advocating the rule by such a small group, whether or not that individual is well-known or not known at all. Notoriety is not a definition of an elitist. The most insidious elites are usually run by people not known to the larger public at all. Intelligent elitists are usually smart enough not to allow themselves to become well-known. When they become known, they are watched, and the mask over their power is no longer firmly lodged. Elites are not conspiracies. Very seldom does a small group of people get together and deliberately try to take over a larger group for its own ends. Elites are nothing more and nothing less than groups of friends who happen to participate in the same political activities that would probably maintain the friendship whether or not they were involved in political activities. They would probably be involved in political activities whether or not they maintained their friendships. It is the coincidence of these two phenomena which creates elites in any group and makes them so difficult to break. These friendship groups function as networks of communications outside any regular channels for such communication that may have been set up by a group. 
If no channels are set up, they function as only networks of communication. Because people are friends, because they usually share the same values and orientations, because they talk to each other socially and consult with each other when common decisions have to be made, the people involved in these networks often have more power in the group than those who don't. And it is a rare group that does not establish some informal networks of communication through the friends that are made in it. Some groups, depending on their size, may have more than one informal communications network. Networks may even overlap. When only one such network exists, it is the elite of an otherwise unstructured group. Whether the participants in it want it to be elitist or not, if it is the only such network in an unstructured group, it may or may not be an elite depending on its composition and of the nature of the formal structure. If there are two or more such networks of friends, they may compete for power within the group, thus forming factions, or one may deliberately opt out of the competition, leaving the other as the elite. In a structured group, two or more such friendships networks usually compete with each other for formal power. This is often the healthiest situation as the other members are in a position to arbitrate between the two competitors for power and thus make demands on those to whom they give their temporary allegiance. The inevitability, elitist, and exclusive nature of informal communication networks of friends is neither a new phenomenon characteristic of the women's movement nor a phenomenon new to women. Such informal relationships excluded women for centuries from participating in integrated groups of which they were a part. In any professional organization, these networks have created, quote, the locker room mentality and the, quote, old ties, which have effectively prevented women as a group, as well as some men individually, from having equal access to sources of power or social reward. Much of the energy of the past women's movement has been directed to the structures of decision-making and the selection processes formalized so that the exclusion of women could be confronted directly. As we well know, these efforts have not prevented the informal male-only networks from discriminating against women, but they have made it more difficult. Because elites are informal does not mean they are invisible. At any small group meeting, anyone with a sharp eye and an acute ear can tell who is influencing whom. The members of a friendship group will relate more to each other than to other people. They listen more attentively and interrupt less. They repeat each other's points and give in amiably. They tend to ignore or grapple with the, quote, outs, whose approval is not necessary for making a decision. But it is necessary for the, quote, outs to stay on good terms with the ins. Of course, the lines are not as sharp as I have drawn them. There are nuances of interaction, not pre-written scripts. But they are discernible, and they do have their effect. Once one knows with whom it is important to check before a decision is made, and whose approval is the stamp of acceptance, one knows who is running things. Since movement groups have made no concrete decisions about who shall exercise powers within them, many different criteria are used throughout the country. Most criteria are along the lines of traditional female characteristics. For instance, in the early days of the women's movement, marriage was a usually, usually a prerequisite for participation in the informal elite. As women have been traditionally taught, married women relate primarily to each other and look upon single women as too threatening to have close friends, have as close friends. In many cities, this criterion was further re refined to include only those women who married uh, new left men. This standard had more than tradition behind it, however, because new left men often had access to resources needed by the movement, such as mailing lists, printing presses, contacts, and information, and women were used to getting what they needed through men rather than independently. As the movement has charged through time, marriage has become a less universal criterion for effective participation. 
but all informally to establish standards by which only women who possess certain material personal characteristics may join. They frequently include middle-class background, despite all the rhetoric about relating to the working class, being married, not being married but living with someone, being or pretending to be a lesbian, being between the ages of 20 and 30, being college educated or at least having some college background, being hip, not being too hip, holding a certain political line or identification as a radical, having children or at least liking them, not having children, having certain feminine personality characteristics such as being nice, dressing right, whether in the traditional style or the anti-traditional style. There are also some characteristics which will always tag one as a deviant who should not be related to. They include being too old, working full-time, particularly if one is actively committed to a career, not being nice, and being avowedly single, i.e. neither actively heterosexual or homosexual. Other criteria could be included, but they all have the same common themes. The characteristics prerequisite for participating in the informal elites of the movement, and thus for exercising power. Concern one's background, personality, or allocation of time. They do not include one's competence, dedication to feminism, talents, or potential contribution to the movement. The former are the criteria one usually uses in determining one's friends. The latter are any movement or organization has to use if it's going to be politically effective. The criteria of participation may differ from group to group, but the means of becoming a member of the informal elite, if one meets those criteria, are pretty much the same. The only main difference depends on whether in a group one is in the group from the beginning or joins it after it has begun. If involved from the beginning, it is important to have many of one's personal friends as possible also join. If no one knows anyone else very well, then one must deliberately form friendships with a select number and establish the informal interaction patterns crucial to the creation of an informal structure. Once the informal patterns are formed, they act to maintain themselves, and one of the most successful tactics of maintenance is to continuously recruit new people who fit in. One joins such an elite much the same way one pledges to a sorority. If perceived as a potential addition, one is, quote, rushed by the members of the informal structure and eventually either dropped or initiated. If the sorority is not politically aware enough to actively engage in this process itself, it can be started by the outsider pretty much the same way one joins any private club. Find a sponsor, i.e. pick some member of the elite who appears to be well respected within it, and actively cultivate that person's friendship. Eventually, she and, or if you're in another group, they will most likely bring you to an inner circle. This is a specifically feminist paper, um, so it's going to be referring to women as part of these feminist groups. Sorry, a small aside. Um, all of these procedures take time, so if one works full-time or has a similar major commitment, it is usually impossible to join simply because there are not enough hours left to go to all the meetings and cultivate the personal relationship necessary to have a voice in the decision-making. That is why formal structures of decision-making are a boon to the overworked person. Having an established process for decision-making ensures that everyone can participate in it to some extent. Although this dissection of the process of elite formation within small groups has been critical in perspective, it has not made the belief in that these informal structures are inevitably bad, merely inevitable. All groups create 
informal structures as a result of interaction patterns among the members of the group. Such informal structures can do very useful things, but only unstructured groups are totally governed by them. When informal elites are combined with a myth of structurelessness, there can be no attempt to put limits on the use of power. It becomes capricious. This has two potentially negative consequences of which we should be aware. The first is that the informal structure of decision-making will, will be much like a sorority, one in which people listen to others because they like them and not because they say significant things. As long as the movement does not do significant things, this does not much matter. But if the development is not to be arrested at this preliminary stage, it will alter this trend. The second is that the informal structures have no obligation to be responsible to the group at large. Their power was not given to them. It cannot be taken away. Their influence is not based on what they do for the group. Therefore, they cannot be directly influenced by the group. This does not necessarily make informal structures responsible. Those who are concerned with maintaining their influence will usually try to be responsible. The group simply cannot compel that responsibility. It is dependent upon the interests of that elite. Um, so I just want to talk about that last section a little bit, um, it, about being about elites. And um, this is something that I really had not seen until I started reading some uh, feminist literature. And uh, I, obviously, part of being a man is being unwitting of the experience of women. Um, and I am one, trying to rectify that, um, but two, I think that there is so much to learn from uh, these feminist essays in terms of their experience because, uh, and I don't mean to demean the movement, but because uh, feminism in America was largely focused around the white women for a long time, at least the groups that made inroads in political structures. Uh, they had a chance to see like what did and did not work and they weren't as brutally oppressed as something like the black liberation movement which was never really given access to the inroads that some you know like female ceos or um uh particularly white ceos but um that some of these groups actually got to participate in and so uh it's interesting to read someone who's actually gotten to see uh, and live obviously is a little bit of an order of an essay. I don't, I don't know exactly when it was written, but um, someone who got to live through these groups and see the real um, what was effective for them, and uh, to be critical of them in a way that's constructive. And uh, the point that I was trying to get to is that I haven't seen any other writer um, kind of strike me the way that this writer has uh, with the kind of defining things within like groups that I'm part of that I see you know and like even at my job you know like a lot of uh we're going through a leadership change at my job right now and it's interesting to see um all of our informal structures be exposed um and we're not a, like a feminist group obviously we just like just a maintenance crew but like it's interesting to see all these people get really really frustrated because their informal power has kind of been stripped from them and they realized how powerless they were within like the the company structure which i thought which i obviously think is instructive for radicalizing people not that i spend all my time at my job radicalizing my coworkers, um but you know there are things in our lives that radicalize us regardless of whether or not we're convinced to so i think that 
she describes like she brings up a lot of criteria that feminist groups would generally look for in women and it's interesting that she brings up like that these are things you look for in friends uh and, and like some of the things that your friends do aren't like for your, the cause you know they're just like there are reasons why you're your friends and not because of their contribu contribution to socialism or feminism or um liberation of any sort it um it is entirely has to do with like that person and not like their contribution or their willing to, their willingness to contribute. So I think that like I've known about that, but I think that uh, she has put it particularly well in this paper. Um, that's the paper's done. I do want to take some time in between segments to talk and uh, reflect on maybe some of the current events and parts of my life. Uh, so I'll move on to what she calls. Quote, the star system. The idea of structurelessness has created the quote star system. We live in a society which expects political groups to make decisions and to select people to articulate those decisions to the public at large. The press and the public do not know how to listen seriously to individual women as women. They want to know how the group feels. Only three techniques have ever been developed for establishing mass group opinion the vote or referendum the public opinion survey, and the selection of a group of spokespeople at an appropriate meeting. The women's liberation movement has used none of these to communicate with the public. Neither the movement as a whole, nor most of the multitudinous groups within it, have established a means of explaining their position on various issues, but the public is conditioned to look for spokespeople. While it has consciously not chosen spokespeople, the movement has thrown up many women who have caught the public eye for varying reasons. These women represent no particular group or established opinion. They know this and usually say so, but because there is no official spokespeople nor any decision-making body that the press can query when it wants to know the movement's position in a subject, these women are perceived as the spokespeople. Thus, whether they want to or not, whether the movement likes it or not, women of public note are put in the role of spokespeople by default. Um, on that, I mean, look at the hyper-focused uh, media on, like, any time a particular group is affected, like, they always do this. They bring them on TV shows, they have the individual people talk without any of the people who are part of that affected group ever getting to have any say. Um, and I think that's, I mean, that's really prescient, and I think that uh, it's something that we can really learn from, and I think it's something we should learn from, and I think it's something that you know, you don't have to become a democratic centralist to agree that maybe you should have a message about something. And I think that that is like probably one of the first steps for us as leftists to get our message out in a coherent way. This is the moment to do it. And I think that we need to build these structures now because the left has no structure in America right now. This is one main source of the ire that is often felt toward women who are labeled stars because they were not selected by the women in the movement to represent the movement's views. They are resented when the press presumes they speak for the movement, but as long as the movement does not select its own spokeswoman, such women will be placed in that role by the press and the public, regardless of their own desires. This has several negative consequences for both the movement and the women labeled stars. First, because the movement didn't put them in the role of spokesperson, the movement cannot remove them. The press put them there, and only the press can choose not to listen. 
the press will continue to look to quote stars as spokeswomen as long as it has no official alternative to go to for authoritative statements. The movement has no control in the selection of its representatives to the public as long as it believes that it should have no representatives at all. Second, women put in this position often find themselves viciously, viciously attacked by their sisters. This achieves nothing for the movement, and it's painfully destructive to the individuals involved. Such attacks only result in either the woman leaving the movement entirely, often bitterly alienated, or in her ceasing to feel responsible to her sisters. She may maintain some loyalty to the movement, vaguely defined, but she is no longer susceptible to the pressures from other women in it. One cannot feel responsible to people who have been in the source of such pain without being a masochist, and these women are usually too strong to bow to that kind of personal pressure. Thus, the backlash to the star system, in effect, encourages the very kind of individualistic non-responsibility that the movement condemns. By purging a sister as a, quote, star, the movement loses whatever control it may have had over the person who becomes free to commit all of the individualistic sins of which she has been accused. I think this is a a thing that we struggle with, particularly on the left. And I know that, um, like, feminism maybe not, isn't, isn't, isn't inherently leftist, depending on your definition of uh, feminism. But I think that, uh, you know, there's people like, you know, Bernie Sanders, and uh, I will defend Bernie in a lot of ways, uh, but not because I, I would vote for him or anything of that particularly. Um, but like, Bernie has been considered like the star of the left, you know, and we and we see how that star has failed, and you see the condemnation of him, and like he never particularly asked to be the leader of the left. He asked to be the leader of the Democrats, um, but he was informally presented as the leader of the leftist movement in America, and we see the problems that that's caused. And if we don't present some some sort of like leftist role model. To, of which we can point to and say like this is what this person says is what aligns with us because you hear Bernie say things like oh capitalism is just socialism for the rich but like that's not what capitalism is capitalism is a lot of things capitalism is accumulation with a focus on the division of labor um and it has cultural repercussions and it has alienating repercussions and to deny all of those things about capitalism um is to or to not recognize all of the things about capitalism is to like inherently uh stop the movement and and basically in its tracks if you have to constantly contest that capitalism is socialism for the rich you never actually get to talk about what socialism is and um not that i want to like turn a feminist paper into something about bernie but i think that um right now i think that's a, a what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to uh, expand a feminist essay, which I feel is particularly important in the moment. There's a lot of unstructured activity, and I, unfortunately, a lot of men are the only ones that we can really point to in a lot of these situations in terms of their ability to present themselves on a national stage. Um, and that's exactly right. Like now that the left has completely like purged Bernie from being part of their group, he can now he can collaborate with Joe Biden with no backlash because like he doesn't represent the left anymore. We don't need like Bernie doesn't need our approval. 
to interact with Joe Biden anymore. He doesn't need our donations. He's part of the Democratic cogs and wheel. And uh, so now he can literally do this next sentence or like this past sentence by purging a sister as a quote star the movement loses whatever control it may have had over the person who then becomes free to commit all of the individual six sins of which she has been accused and um now that makes the assumption that like bernie was ever really part of the movement which is just a whole different like conversation and i i think i'll leave it at that uh but in terms of like expanding on how this has affected us uh, in our current political moment. The next section is political impotence. Unstructured groups may be very effective in getting women to talk about their lives. They aren't very good for getting things done. It is when people get tired of quote, just talking and want to do something more that the groups flounder. Unless they ch and I wish she would give more uh, examples, but this is just a short essay, so I'm sure that she has loads of examples. I mean, she has lived through this. Um, but as someone who like values evidence and like analysis, it, this that's one of the striking things about this paper. Unfortunately, is that it has like a, it kind of presents a very very important theoretical idea, um, at, which I think is absolutely verifiable, but uh, doesn't present necessarily like the evidence that a lot of socialists would need to necessarily agree with it. Um, but I, I imagine once you do your own research. Um, like I have, you would you'd come to agree. Um, and even if you don't look at like feminist groups, you can see how this theory applies to a lot of different um, loosely structured groups. Um, this is, uh, sorry. Occasionally the developed informal structure of a, the group coincides with an available need that the group can fill in such a way as to give the appearance of an that an unstructured group works. That is, the group has fortuitously developed precisely the kind of structure best suited for engaging in a particular project. While working in this kind of group is a very heady experience, it is also rare and very hard to repl replicate. There are almost inevitably four conditions found in such a group. One, it is task-oriented. Its function is very narrow and very specific. Like putting on a conference or putting on a newspaper, it is the task that basically structures the group. The task determines what needs to be done and when it needs to be done. It provides a guide by which people can judge their actions and make plans for future activity. Two, it is relatively small and homogenous. Homogeneity is necessary to ensure that participants have a, quote, common language for interaction. People from widely different groups may provide riches to a consciousness-raising group where each can learn from the other's experience, but too great a diversity among members of a task-oriented group means only that they continuously misunderstand each other. Such diverse people in interpret words and actions differently. They have different expectations about each other's behavior and judge the results according to different criteria. If everyone knows everyone else well enough to understand the nuances, these can be accommodated. Usually they only lead to confusion and endless hours of spent straightening out conflicts no one ever thought would arise. Three, there is a high degree of communication. Information must be passed on to everyone, opinions checked, work divided up, and participation assured in the relevant decisions. This is the only this is only possible if the group is small and people practically have to live together for most of the crucial phases of the task. 
Needless to say, the number of interactions necessary to involve everybody increases geometrically with the number of participants. This, is, this inevitability limits groups participants to about five or includes some from the decisions. Successful groups can be as large as 10 or 15, but only when they are in fact composed of several smaller subgroups which perform specific parts of the task and whose members overlap with each other so that knowledge of what different subgroups are doing can be passed around easily. There is a four, there is a low degree of skill specialization. Not everyone has to be able to do everything, but everyone must be able to, everything must be able to be done by more than one person. Thus, no one is indispensable. To a certain extent, people become interchangeable parts. While these conditions can occur serendipitously in small groups, this is not possible in large ones. Consequently, because a large movement in most cities is as unstructured as individual groups, it is not too much more effective than the separate groups at specific tasks. The informal structure is rarely together enough or in touch enough with the people to be able to operate effectively, so the movement generates much motion and few results. Unfortunately, the consequences of all this motion are not as innocuous as the results, and their victim is the movement itself. Some groups have formed themselves into local action projects if they do not involve many people in working on a small scale. But this form restricts movement activity to the local level. It cannot be done on the regional or national. Also, to function well, the groups must usually pair themselves down to that informal group of friends who are running things in the first place. This excludes many women from participating, as long as the only way women can participate in the movement is through membership in a small group. The non-gregarious are at a distinct disadvantage, as long as friendship groups are the main means of organizational activity. Elitism becomes institutionalized. For those groups which cannot find a local project to which to devote themselves, the mere act of staying together becomes a reason for their staying together. When the group has no specific tasks and consciousness raising is a task, the people in it turn their energies to controlling others in the group. This is not done so much out of a malicious desire to manipulate others, though sometimes it is, as out of a lack of anything better to do with their talents. Able people with time on their hands and a need to justify their coming together put their efforts into personal control and spend their time criticizing the personalities of the members in the group infighting and personal power games rule a day. When a person is involved in a task, people learn to get along with others as they are and as they are and to subsume personal dislikes for the sake of the larger goal. There are limits placed on the compulsion to remold every person in your image of what they should be. The end of consciousness raising leaves people with no place to go, and the lack of structure leaves them with no way of getting there. The women the women in the movement either turn in on themselves the women in the movement either turn in on themselves and their sisters or seek other alternatives of action there are a few that are available some women just quote do their own thing this can lead to a great deal of individual creativity creativity which is useful for the movement but it is not a viable alternative for most women and certainly does not foster a spirit of cooperative effort other women drift out of the movement entirely because they don't want to develop an individual project and they have found no way of discovering, joining, or starting group projects that interest them. Many turn to other political organizations to give them the kind of structured, effective activity that they have not been able to find in the women's movement. Those political organizations which see women's liberation as only one of the many issues to which women should devote their time, thus find the movement a vast recruiting ground for new members. 
There is no need for such organizations to, quote, infiltrate, though this is not precluded. The desire for meaningful political activity generated in women by their becoming part of the women's liberation movement is sufficient to make them eager to join other organizations when the movement itself provides no outlets for their new ideas and energies. Those women who join other political organizations while remaining within the women's liberation movement or who join women's liberation while remaining in other political organizations in turn become the framework for new informal structures. These friendship networks are based upon their common non-feminist politics rather than the characteristics discussed earlier, but operate in much the same way. Because these women share common values, ideas, and political orientations, they become too informal, unplanned, unselected, unresponsible elites, whether they intend to or not. These new informal elites are often perceived as threats by the old informal elites pre previously developed within different groups. This is a correct perception. Such politically oriented networks are rarely willing to be merely, quote, sororities, as many of the old ones were, and want to proselytize their political as well as their feminist ideas. This is only natural, but its implications for women's liberation have never been adequately discussed. The old elites are rarely willing to bring such differences of opinion out into the open because it would involve exposing the nature of the informal structure of the group. Many of these informal elites have been hiding under the banner of, quote, anti-elitism and, quote, structurelessness to effectively counter the competition from another informal structure. They would have to become, quote, public, and this possibility is fraught with dangerous implications. Thus, to maintain its own power, it is easy to rationalize the exclusion of members of the informal structure by such things uh, as red baiting, uh, reformist baiting, lesbian baiting, or street baiting. The only other alternative is to formally structure the group in such a way that the original power structure is institutionalized. This is not always possible. If the informal elites have been well-structured and have exercised a fair amount of power in the past, such a task is feasible. These groups have a history of being somewhat politically effective in the past, as the tightness of the informal structure has proven an adequate substitute for a formal structure. Becoming structured does not alter their operation much, though the need of structure that are often least capable, often those groups are in the greatest need of structure are often the least capable of creating it. Their informal structures have not been too well formed and adherence to the ideology of structurelessness makes them reluctant to change tactics. The more unstructured a group is, the more lacking it is in informal structures, and the more it adheres to an ideology of structurelessness, the more vulnerable it is to be taken over by a group of political comrades. Since the movement at large is just as unstructured as most of its constituent groups, it is similarly susceptible to indirect influence, but the phenomenon manifests itself differently. On a local level, most groups can operate autonomously, but the only groups that can organize a national activity are nationally organized groups. Thus, it is often structured feminist organizations that provide national direction for feminist activities, and this direction is determined by the priorities of those organizations. Such groups as NOW, W-E-A-L, and some leftist women's caucuses are simply the only organizations capable of mounting a national campaign. The multitude of unstructured women's liberations groups can choose to support or not support the national campaigns but are incapable of mounting their own. Thus, their members become the troops under the leadership of the structural organizations. The avowedly unstructured groups have no way, upon, no way of drawing upon the movement's vast resources to support its priorities. It doesn't even have a way of deciding what they are. The more unstructured a movement, the less control it has over the directions in which it develops and the political actions in which it engages. 
This does not mean that these ideas do not spread. Given a certain amount of interest by the media and the appropriateness of social conditions, the ideas will still be diffused widely. But diffusion of ideas does not mean they are implemented. It only means they are talked about. Insofar as they can be applied individually, they may be acted on. Insofar as they acquire, require coordinated political power to be implemented, they will not be. As long as the women's liberation movement stays dedicated to a form of organization which stresses small and active discussion groups among friends, the worst problems of unstructuredness will not be felt. But this style of organization has its limits. It is politically inefficacious exclusive and discriminatory against those women who are not or cannot be tied to the friendship networks. Those who do not fit into what already exists because of class, race, occupation, education, parental or marital, marital status, personality, etc. will inevitably be discouraged from trying to participate. Those who do fit in will develop vested interest in maintaining things as they are. The informal group's vested interest will be sustained by the informal structures which exist and the movement will have no way of determining who shall exercise power with within it. And if the movement continues deliberately to not select the who shall exercise power, it does not thereby abolish power. All it does is abdicate the right to demand that those who do not exercise power and influence be responsible for it. If the movement continues to keep power as diffuse as possible because it knows it cannot demand responsibility from those who have it, it does prevent any group or person from totally dominating it. But it simultaneously ensures that the movement is as ineffective as possible. Some middle ground between domination and ineffectiveness can and must be found. These problems are coming to a head at this time because of the nature of the movement is necessarily changing. Consciousness raising as the main function of the women's liberation movement is becoming obsolete due to the, to the intense press publicity of the last two years and the numerous overground books and articles now being circulated. Women's liberation has become a household word. Its issues are discussed and informal rap groups are formed by people who have no explicit connection with any movement group. The movement must go on to other tasks. It now needs to establish its priorities, articulate its goals, and pursue its objectives in a coordinated fashion. To do this, it must get organized locally, regionally, and nationally. Principles of democratic structuring. This is a beautiful beautiful section that i really like um and this is really one of the reasons why i like this paper is that like kind of works through problems and then provides a solution um you know i i think that there's so much of this paper that it's just like so obvious to us right now um all of the press that black lives matter is getting is gonna is directed towards like the abolition or defunding of police which i think is good and i think that it's the point at which black lives matter has gone beyond the issues of a lot of these groups and and in a way i think um proves um this to some degree wrong um but i also think that black lives matter has taken a specific direction even though it lacks like a necessarily formal structure like black panthers did um i think that we are seeing what it looks like when a group takes a direction while they don't have official groups i think this is kind of like what she's talking about like the mixture of like an ability to strike a balance between like domination and uh 
like effectiveness. Like it's very interesting uh, that you know I you know I, I mean I haven't articulated myself too well. I said at one point it's disproving it. Uh, at one point I said that it's solidifying it. So let me let me be clear. Um, a lot of people would see Black Lives Matter as an unstructured movement. I disagree. I think that Black Lives Matter has been a uh, a movement since like 2016, and thus uh, through a series of years has developed some sort of like formal or informal relationships between people, and that those informal relationships have allowed for a um, a group of people who understand the press to come to the surface and kind of talk about these issues. And I think that even with that small amount of organization, um, you can, in addition to, to post-modernity as like a concept in general, it allows like the diffusing of these ideas to spread even without a necessary uh, a structure. But I think that the structure is there. But I think the even the structure itself is becoming informal in some ways um, due to post-modernity. Um, it's like structured, but transistorized. So you like can't see the structure even though it exists. Um, and it's formal in some ways, uh, like the algorithms on TikTok or whatever apps you use, like those are formal structures that you are not aware of, um, but that necessarily do diffuse information. Um, I think that our ability to understand those algorithms and manipulate them is what's allowing our messages to be sent far and wide. Um, so it's not that the group is structured, but that the group has learned how to utilize a structure. I think if the group builds a structure, like there is a weaponization that even people on the left would not have been able to expect to happen. I think that I think there's a real opportunity for that. So on to her solution and uh her for her contribution in in the sense to giving some of these women's groups an answer which i think can be applied large and wide and i think it's necessary right now like we don't need an overly domineering uh member of any group right now because like this movement is still in its infancy and uh, i think that matt chrisman chapa made a good point um and Amber has only made this point, Felix has made this point, uh, that basically people need to, I mean, a lot of leftists have made this point. I'm just pointing to these people because um, that's the leftist crowd that I didn't necessarily start with, but the first major one that I was exposed to was Chapo. But all, all tons of leftists have said this and basically it's that we need to be able to see beyond our lifetimes i i do think that we're in a revolutionary moment of some sorts but i don't think that we will probably see socialism within our lifetimes although it's hard to say um the type of violence that we'll experience just because we won't experience socialism doesn't mean we won't experience the war or the destruction that will lead to it um which is the scary part you know we might be asked to make some sacrifices. And uh, I think that as leftists, we should be proud that we get to be in such a vulnerable and exciting moment, even though we don't get to see the benefits of it. Um, principles of democratic structuring. Once the movement no longer clings tenaciously to the ideology of structurelessness, it is free to develop those forms of organization best suited to its healthy functioning. 
This does not mean that we should go to the other extreme and blindly imitate traditional forms of organization, but neither should we blindly reject them all. Some of the traditional techniques will prove useful, albeit not perfect. Some will give us insights into what we should and should not do to obtain certain ends with minimal cost to the individuals in the movement. Mostly we will have to experiment with different kinds of structuring to develop a variety of techniques to use for various situations. Um, quote, the lot system is one such idea which has emerged from the movement. It is not applicable to all situations, but it is useful in some other ideas for structuring are needed. But before we can proceed to experiment intelligently, we must accept the idea that there is nothing inherently bad about structure itself, only its excess use. While engaging in this trial and error process, there are some principles we can keep in mind that are essential to democratic structuring and are also politically effective. One, delegation of specific authority to specific individuals for specific tasks by democratic procedures. Letting people assume jobs or tasks only by default means they are not dependably done. If people are selected to do a task, preferably after expressing an interest or willingness to do it, they have made a commitment which cannot easily be ignored. Two, requiring all those whom authority has been delegated to be responsible to those who selected them. This is how the group has control over people and positions of authority. Individuals may exercise power, but it is, group, it is the group that has the ultimate say over the power is, how, how the power is exercised. 3. Distribution of authority among as many people as is reasonably possible. This prevents monopoly of power and requires those in positions of authority to consult with many others in the process of exercising it. It also gives many people the opportunity to have responsibility for a specific task and thereby to learn different skills. Rotation of tasks among individuals, responsibilities which are held too long by one person, formally or informally, come to be seen as that person's, quote, property, and are not easily relinquished or controlled by the group. Conversely, if tasks are not are rotated too frequently, the individual does not have time to learn her job well and acquire the sense of satisfaction of doing a good job. Allocation of tasks along rational criteria. Selecting someone for a position because they are likely by the group or giving them hard work because they are disliked serves neither the group nor the person in the long run. Ability, interest, and responsibility have got to be the major concerns in such selection. People should be given an opportunity to learn skills they do not have, but this is best done through some sort of apprenticeship program rather than the sink or swim method. Having responsibility one can't handle is demoralizing. Conversely, being blacklisted from doing what one can do well does not encourage one to develop one's skills. Women have been punished for being competent throughout most of human history. The movement does not need to repeat this process. Uh, I just, I, I think she uh, puts spurts of humor um, in this, and I, I, I do find her quite funny uh, in, in some of her writing. Um, six. Diffusion of information to everyone as frequently as possible. Information is power. Access to information enhances power. When, when an informal network spreads new ideas and information among themselves outside the group, they are already engaged in the process of forming an opinion without the group participating. The more one knows about how things work and what is happening, the more politically effective one can be. 7. Equal access to resources needed by the group. This is not always perfectly possible, should, but should be striven for. A member who maintains a monopoly over needed resources, like a printing press owned by a husband or a darkroom, can unduly influence the use of that resources. Skills and information are also resources. Member skills can be uh, equitably available only when members are willing to teach what they know to others. 
When these principles are applied, they ensure that whatever structures are developed by different movement groups will be controlled by and responsible to the group. The group of people in positions of authority will be diffuse, flexible, open, and temporary. They will not be in such an easy position to institutionalize their power because ultimate decisions will be made by the group at large. The group will have power to determine who shall exercise authority within it. To me, this sounds a lot like uh, things that Mao wrote about or Thomas Sankara wrote about or Marx wrote about. Um, I think that this paper is very easily squared with Marxism. And I think that um, feminism at large um, contributes largely to uh, modern day Marxists if they're to be taken seriously. I think uh, there is no way to deny how important it is to our current moment. And I think that this paper speaks to like the idea of like feminazis um, pretty well that the right has come up with because they, uh, because of these failures that she's talking about. And while um, women's liberation has been like an active and meaningful um, action over the years, I think that a lot of women were put into the position that misrepresent feminism, like Madeleine Albright or Elizabeth Warren or Amy Klobuchar. Or, uh, I mean, you could, like, whatever female CEO of Raytheon is, you know, you can attribute so many things to uh, feminism. And I think that what she says here is true because a lot of the people who are given uh the respect of being like a feminist are often people that fail to align with like humanist values in general even and they like by feminist they would not be considered feminists uh in a lot of ways they uh establish a sort of like liberal feminism that is like the whole gilded cage theory um that I don't need to explain to anyone. Um, there's plenty of women who can talk about that. Um, so one, I absolutely suggest reading feminist works. They are highly theoretical, super interesting. I'm reading a book right now that my mom gave me called uh, The Second Wave. I've had a really heavy interest in second wave feminism. I wanted to see how it developed and grew. Um, I'll probably make an episode talking about that at some point. Uh, and I, like I said, I 100% encourage reading of these works. I also encourage reading of uh, works of colonized people and people who have been left out of the mainstream Western leftist uh, conversation. But I also think that it's important to be critical of everyone because we aren't sexist and we aren't racist. We don't just accept people's opinions because of who they are, but we consider them seriously because of the conditions in which they had to be written. Um, you know, Jay Sakai wrote Settlers, and um, I think that Jay Sakai makes a lot of really good points about white people, even as a white person. I think that he changed his opinion later in his life, but similarly, second wave feminism, which was largely exclusionary of men, had good reason to do so, I think. Uh, and they didn't come to that position uh, by accident. These are highly theoretical texts, and they deserve every bit of respect of as 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 Marx or Lenin or Bakunin or 
uh, I mean, any any Western leftists, uh, they deserve the same respect, if not more, considering the conditions at which they had to write them under. Um, and that's why I hope that everyone's doing okay. Uh, if any um, people, other women, uh, LGBTQ uh, plus individuals um, would like to read an episode, um, let me know. I, I, I think that our unity is our strength. And, um, you know, I, I, I wish to reach out to as many people as possible. And I would like to have someone besides like a white man read a feminist work. I don't think that I can deliver the same power, um, that a woman could when reading this. I don't have the same experience. Um, so I hope everyone's doing well and let me know if you're interested in helping. I'll be posting this um, as of the 17th, so it should be available for a while. Uh, thanks.